Recording of Rebecca Pulley. This is WMNF Tampa. It's time for Talking Animals. My name is Glenn Hatchell. I am going to be sitting in for Duncan Strauss today. It's been um, pre-pandemic since I actually sat in as substitute host for Duncan's, Duncan, so it'll be fun to do that today. I um, have been talking with him about every three or four months or so on a segment we do called Ask the Trainer. But today we've got a, an interesting show that I think you will find um, I think you'll find fascinating and fun to listen to and hopefully educational as well. But we're going to get it started off with a song from Tim O'Brien written by Bob Dylan right here on WMNF. In the beginning, men get names to all the animals. In the beginning, long time ago. Oh. 
Such a fantastic album. Steve O'Brien did a cover of Bob Dylan's songs called Red on Blonde, and that was Man Gave Names to All the Animals, a song that I um, I think several times when I've been here on Talking Animals have played that song because it's just so appropriate to the show and also for appropriate for today's show because our guest today, we're going to be talking about a range of different um, animal species that she has worked with, Mariah Shesky of Blue Sky Animal Behavior is going to be joining us. <clears throat> Excuse me, my name's Glenn Hatchell. If, and this is Talking Animals. I'm sitting in for Duncan Strauss today here on WMNF Tampa. You may be listening live or you may be listening on the archives on WMNF.org. So one of the things that I wanted to, before we get into our um, extended conversation with Mariah, I wanted to talk about birds. I've really been fascinated with birds for a long time. And about six months ago, discovered an app from the Cornell Ornithology Lab at a Cornell University. And the name of the app is Merlin Bird ID. I'm discovering the cough button this morning, people. Um, and this app that you can download from the stores, what I wanted when I, I like to do a lot of hiking. And when I'm out in the woods and I hear all these bird sounds and bird songs, I'd love to know what the birds are. Well, this app was made for exactly that. And um you can put sound or you can actually turn the mic on. It can record it. You can snap pictures and it can do bird identification for you, which I think is really, it's been fascinating because I had no idea there were those many birds that were around in certain areas. But it's also been fascinating for me that I've learned certain birds make so many different sounds. So if you're interested in birds and you want to learn more about it and have fun at the same time, I encourage that app. And I'm only saying that because I've used it. I've also seen other professors on different social media platforms have talked about how they're starting to even incorporate that in some of their classes. So pretty fascinating. I think you may have fun with it. Again, it's the uh, Merlin Bird ID app that you can find on the app stores. And, of course, that's going to segue us into 
The Beatles, right here on Talking Animals. F Tampa. And that was the Beatles. I really thought there was a cover of that on um, one of those CDs and couldn't find it this morning. Mariah, are you with me? I'm here. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. It's good to hear your voice this morning. Welcome to Talking Animals and WMNF. Thanks for having me. So I gave a brief little intro here a minute ago, but joining me for uh, the remainder of the show is Mariah Shesky of Blue Sky Behavior in Missoula, Montana. Um, Mariah and I first met when we were uh, deploying with the ASPCA and worked together on a number of deployments and such and have kept in touch and touch and touch. And I've been fascinating with some of the stuff that she has done um, over the last few years, but also even before I met her, which was one of the reasons why I wanted to have um, you on the show today to be able to talk to the Talking Animals audience who um, I think can uh, gain a lot of value for some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. So you have a number of certifications. Um, Do you want to tell us about a couple of them as we get started and kind of give a brief intro? Sure. Um, I am a certified dog behavior consultant, um, and that that's really the majority of what I do. Um, it's a lot of talking. So I was excited to chat with you today because it's more talking about animals and, and people. And uh, I'm also a certified professional dog trainer. Um, that encompasses a little bit more of the training aspect, kind of the more hands-on uh, dog work that a lot of us do. Um, and then, you know, I'm 
I'm an avid learner. I love learning. I love attending conferences. Um, uh, I did the uh, Aggression in Dogs Master Course and just just love learning about, you know, any opportunity I can to expand, you know, my knowledge and um, be able to help more people and more dogs. So that's just a little bit about uh, my education. So let's let's dive straight into the Aggression in Dogs Master Course. Let's talk about that a little bit. And one of the reasons why I bring it up is because working in a shelter environment, I'm dealing with dogs who fall on some spectrum of aggression. Um, so, and, and I know a lot of people, when I talk to them about issues with they're having with their dogs, will describe aggression, but it's got excuse me, a very broad definition depending on the context of the person and such. So let's explore the, the a little bit. What do you see, what have you learned from working more and more with aggressive dogs here in the last two years, let's say? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it is something that, you know, I do see and hear about every day. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons I decided to specialize in working to help dogs exhibiting behavior associated with fear and aggression. It's just because I, I was seeing so much of it and I was, I was getting so many calls and so many requests for help. And, you know, you're right. It does present in so many ways. Um, I see, you know, some dogs who are, you know, exhibiting some ritualized aggression. So things like, you know, maybe showing their teeth or, maybe subtly taking a little bit of space or something, and that dissolves, uh, you know, any sort of conflict, which is really nice to see. I know my own dogs used to do that. They were really good at working things out without any conflict. Um, so those are kind of some more of those, you know, subtle signs of behaviors we would associate with aggression. Um, but I would say that, you know, the majority of calls I receive are people who are seeing this these more overt behaviors, things like, um, multi-dog households that can get really difficult if, you know, I know a lot of people have experienced that in their own homes where they maybe adopt a new dog or a new cat and, um, they're, they're just not getting along with their, their resident pets. Um, and then a lot of, a lot of the other things I tend to see are, you know, it does, it does present in this overt aggression, maybe growling, snapping, snarling, biting, mm-hmm. but these dogs are just so scared, you know, and that they're exhibiting those behaviors as a distance increasing behavior, you know, to communicate to the other dog or person, hey, I need you to back up. I'm not comfortable here. And they've learned that that works. So that can be that can be tricky. That can be tricky to uh, resolve. So that does that track with some of the things you see in the shelter? Um, well, of course, in the shelter environment, not being a home environment, there are, um, in our case, usually about 120 dogs you know, that are at the facility versus two or three of the dogs at home. But yeah. so obviously it's at a different scale, but yet it's the, I think it's, it's the similar thing to what you're describing is that there's a repetitive occurrence of something that is causing stress or upset or causing one dog to have some sort of a <clears throat> a behavioral aggression, um, a behavioral expression that would fall in a category of aggression. But like you said, um, 
quite often it just gets resolved resolved without any conflict. But then over time, that continues to build up to where the conflict's going to be there because it's dissolved so many times. So starts yeah. building up. Um, obviously, that's what we see in the shelter, which you would have in the past because <clears throat> because of your because of your previous shelter experience, which we'll explore <laughs> through, yeah. through the next um, bit. But it is. But what I'm finding fascinating is also trying to see things that we see in the in the shelter and anticipate what kind of behaviors that may lead to in the home. Yeah, that's that's hard, and I, I think that might be the million dollar question, actually. Yes, um, if okay. you can see behaviors in the <laughs> shelter and and determine whether or not that's going to present in the home. Bingo, bingo. Um, so one of the things that's different, um, I know when I was doing private training versus now being more in the shelter, and I'm curious of um, from what you've been involved with. How often does medication come into play for one oh, or wow. both of the dogs if it's a multi-dog household, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I have, I have some just incredible veterinarians that, that um, I work with in the community here in Missoula. And, you know, we work together all the time. Um, you know, I, I would say that a lot of the clients I see and I work with um, probably have already chatted with their veterinarian about whether or not they believe that medication could be a helpful tool for them. Um, so yes, it's, I would say it's fairly common by the time people get to me, they've usually chatted with their vet and, you know, done a lot of Googling and are really looking for, uh, some answers and, and some help. So, you know, because I am focusing more on, on fear and aggression, I would say that, you know, I do see that more frequently than, you know, maybe a, a trainer that's focusing on puppies or, you know, obedience or things like that. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And something, excuse me, along that medication, just for kind of, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, medication is, if you think about it, what it will do with a dog who maybe is stressful or is high energy, it can drop them down into a state where they're more receptive for learning. And it's no different than it is for people who are taking Prozac, for example. You know, I mean, that's the same effect that it's bringing you down to a level where you're more receptive to learning, or in this case, we're talking behavior modification. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and, and you know, something I uh, have just been kind of reading more about is that stress actually affects memory. And so... <laughs> You know, if, if a dog is stressed and we're trying to train, you know, hey, when you when you see this person, you know, we're gonna we're gonna reinforce that behavior and give you some treats or maybe throw the ball for you. Or when you check in with your, your person who's walking you, we're gonna reinforce that behavior. If if they can't remember that, they can't remember and retain that information, it's just a huge uphill uphill climb to try and help that, that dog. Mm -hmm. So Improving memory is, is a really important tool. Hmm. And that, I think that's a, a perfect example of 
why so often you a behavior consultant will recommend that you talk to your veterinarian about a medication? <laughs> because there are, you know, when it comes to behavior, there are so many things that can present as a behavior problem that, you know, could be a medical problem. I think one of the studies that I saw said about 15% of behavior problems actually turn out to have uh, medical causes in the background. Obviously, that was a narrow study and such, but still, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, pain is a huge one. Um, anytime I I start working with a client, and maybe the dog is, you know, five, six, seven, or maybe even a little older. I mean, if they haven't been in to chat with their veterinarian recently, I want to be able to rule out pain. I know, um, and oftentimes they do find that maybe the dog has some arthritis or an old injury or maybe an ear infection. I mean, there's there's a variety of uh, things that can affect the dog's behavior. But I know when I'm not feeling well, I can be kind of grumpy. Um, exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah, and, and so it's really important to rule out those medical um, concerns before diving into behavior modification and, and things that um, we really need the dog feeling or cat feeling their best mm-hmm. before we start to uh, work on those things. Mm-hmm. So keeping in the um, conversation of aggression in dogs, um, you have recently attended an aggression in dogs conference. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, my gosh. It's my favorite conference. Um, <laughs> so much great Great uh, information and, and conferences out there, but uh, aggression in dogs is is just my favorite. The you know the I'll, I'll plug one. Uh, this everyone was so fantastic, but I'll plug one person in particular because I'm reading her book, um, and that's what kind of prompted me to think about oh stress affects memory, right? Um, Christina Spalding's book, The Stress Factor in Dogs, highly recommend for anyone whose dog is nervous, scared fearful, exhibiting aggression that could be uh, based in in maybe some fear or underlying anxiety. The book is just fantastic. It's She's brilliant. And the amount of information that, present, that she presents in a way that I can understand, I'm not a researcher, um, is just incredible. And so I really, I've been, I've been passing this book on to so many of my clients and and they're agreeing that they're just getting so much out of it. So, yeah. So tell us, so tell us again the um, the author and the name of the book. Yeah, the stress factor in dogs, and it's Christina Spalding. Excellent. It's just yeah, yeah, great resource. I'll check the library as soon as we're done. There you go. <laughs> That's right. A very, very, very valuable resource for a lot of those kind of things. So anyway, back to the conference, Christina Spalding in that. That's a that's a great recommendation right there. So Mike, this is a Michael Chicasio organized. Michael's part of this. Yeah, it's his conference that he puts on and, and he just does such a great job of bringing in uh, presenters from all areas. Right. He'll bring in researchers and biologists and um, shelter experts and you know, people looking at ethology and just, you know, people from all different different areas, which, you know, I'm, it's just so, so valuable that that we continue to see, you know, to explore different avenues. You know, I was I was raised in, you know, the shelter world. I, you know, I spent 15 years working in shelters and 
So when I would view a dog or behavior or, you know, seeing a different animal's behavior, I was seeing it through that kind of shelter lens for a long time. Now that I'm working more with private clients and working with different animals, I'm starting to see things in a different way. And so it's just so valuable to learn, you know, maybe learn about things that, you know, aren't in your, your regular lane, you know, and, and, um, really helps broaden your perspective. And, you know, Mike just does a really great job of bringing in all those different, different people. And it's just such a, such a wonderful, uh, conference. I highly recommend for anyone. It's online, in person, um, just a great conference. And if you go to talkinganimals.net and you search back through Duncan's previous archives, you'll find a couple episodes where Mike was Duncan's guest here on Talking Animals, which is part of why I bring him up specifically so I can plug going to uh, checking out some past episodes. <clears throat> and actually, yeah, now that I think about it, so with great. this being, this would be also be on the WMNF website because it's it's WMNF. Yes, this is this is going to stay out there. So you did touch on something there that I'm glad you did. Is that your um, shelter background? Do you want to? Um, I mean, I I could tell everybody, but just briefly, where you said 15 years in the shelter world. Tell us a little bit about what um, yeah. what you were involved what you were involved there. Yeah, um, my my first gig uh, working with animals was actually at Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. A very long time ago, um, when Best Friends was much smaller than it is now. And, um, you know, I was kind of just thrown in the mix there. Uh, they, they put me up on, at the time, they called it the hill. And I was working with, uh, you know, the, they called them the red-collar dogs. And these are dogs that were exhibiting um, behaviors associated with aggression, um, dog-directed aggression, some human-directed aggression. And... Um, you know, I, it was uh, the immersion program. I learned a lot really fast, <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and then after that, I ended up coming back to Missoula and uh, starting at my local humane society here, and ended up staying there for about 15 years, um, working in the you know started out just learning the ropes and ended up um, as a director of programs and the behavior and training program there. So. A lot of fun, just, you know, helping a lot of new up-and-coming trainers uh, learn and get established and helped a lot of dogs and community members. That's fascinating. So, obviously, I wanted to lead you into that because um, ask you about one of the things that um, I was aware of this study before I knew that um, you were actually involved with it. And one in a in a shelter environment one of the things we really focus on is enrichment and a part of that includes out of shelter enrichment so there's a lot of things we can do with the animals while they're there with us but the ability to be able for a dog to go to a park or do a spend the night is a really valuable thing and you could see it but there was never a measurement um but they're actually you were participating in a in actually a study where they did measure the effect of sleepovers on dogs is that correct yeah um that yeah that study was a lot of fun um again i was lucky enough to be at a shelter uh that um the researchers chose to to work with and um we gosh i can't even i think it was 2000 it had been 17 maybe 18 um and we were studying the effects of their stress stress levels and so measuring um, cortisol 
Um, I have many memories of collecting a lot of urine at five in the morning in Montana in the winter, um, <laughs> maybe six in the morning. It was a lot of fun um, because that's how we uh, were measuring the cortisol. And, um, you know, we can link, I guess we could, do you have, can we link to some, add some show notes? To link this study, or I can I can give the name oh, of it. It's yeah, you can go ahead and mention study. it. You can go ahead and mention it. Okay, so it's called uh, evaluating the effects of a temporary fostering program on sh- on shelter dog welfare, and it just pops up. It's public access, so you can read the study and and see the results. But what what they found was that the dogs experienced a much lower level of stress as soon as they were out of the shelter, within 24 hours. And so they would go on these sleepovers for one night or maybe two nights. And, again, what they found, because they're, again, just measuring that cortisol level, is that their stress levels were much lower as soon as they were out of the shelter. And then there was a little bit of uh, maybe residual uh, stress reduction when they came back to the shelter. A lot of the dogs would come back to the shelter after this one- or two-day sleepover, and then they would rest. And they would have this long period of rest. Um, they also had little, um, like little Fitbit trackers. That's not what they were called, but <laughs> you get the picture to measure activity level. So mm. they could tell when the dog went to the home and would just sleep. <laughs> and again, everyone who, who has experience working with dogs in shelters know that they're just, they have a pretty high stress level and they're awake. And they're barking and there's, it's hard to sleep and they get home and they just sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really, really interesting um, seeing that, you know, taking a dog out for a night or two, some of these, you know, maybe just taking them for the weekend, watching movies, ordering pizza, hanging out, had a big, uh, had a positive effect on the dog's um, stress level. And, you know, and I don't remember if the study talked about adoption rates and whether or not that changed based on dogs who had participated in the study. Mm-hmm. But anecdotally, I definitely saw when the dogs were returned, they presented better. Oh, right? I so. absolutely believe. I mean, just thinking of playgroups, regular playgroups play with the dogs and the relaxation they get, obviously they don't get to, um, they don't get to get away from the shelter, but they're getting to be, a dog in the truest sense of the yeah. word. And for a lot of them, playgroups aren't going to, they're not comfortable enough to necessarily with a bunch of other dogs to really relax and be a total dog. But most any dog, if you get them home and give them a soft couch, they're going to be happy for at least for two days, like you said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's pretty interesting. Um, and then chatting with you know, people like yourself and a lot of people who do work in shelters, they said the same thing. They said, yeah, these dogs come back. You know, they would have them come back and, um, you know, a half hour before the shelter opens for the week, maybe on a Monday or Tuesday or whenever mm-hmm. the shelter opens, and the dogs presented better. So people would come in, they'd walk through and say, oh, wow, this dog looks pretty calm, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's, yeah, it was really, it was really um, an interesting study and, um, yeah, I urge everyone and, to, to check it out. And if you are at a shelter, what a great, if you have, you know, some, it takes a little bit of work. You need some, a foster network. And, um, but, I, you know, I think a lot of shelters have 
at least have some of these programs. Yes. Well, and now, you so. just and what you just touched there was what I was <clears throat> what I was thinking as well that a lot of people in this case they, this I. Sorry, when I talk to people about fostering, this is one of the things I frequently reference that, you know, it's shown if we can get the dog out of the shelter for just three or four nights, they're going to be much more relaxed in the shelter environment and we'll learn more about them. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even mention that piece. I mean, learning that they do like to lay on the couch or actually they prefer to sleep on the ground or... They love to lay in the sun on the back porch and don't even care when the dogs walk by the front yard. You know, I mean, it's, it's just you learn so much. Yes. So let's um, I want to thank Jessica Green for um, being my board operator and engineer on the show today. My name's Glenn Hatchell. This is Talking Animals. We're talking with Mariah Shesky of Blue Sky Behavior in Missoula, Montana. Um, let's spin off with the song, Jessica, take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Mariah more about some of the other species that she's been working with. So you don't want to miss this. This is, this is pretty interesting. This is WMNF Tampa. Well, I'd be doggone if I wouldn't work all day. And I'd be doggone if I wouldn't bring you my pay. But if I ever caught you running around, blowing my money all over this town, then I wouldn't be doggone. I'd be long gone. No, I wouldn't be doggone. I'd be long Nobody could if I found out that you 
This is Talking Animals. That was Solomon Burke. And this is Talking Animals. My name is Glenn Hatchell. I'm happy to be sitting in for Duncan Strauss today and happy to be talking with my good friend Mariah Shesky. And we're going to continue our conversation about some of the other species that you've been working with lately. Um, so let's start talking about the fox. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really anxious. I'm really anxious to hear about this. Yeah. Um, everyone loves the foxes. Um, so I, I guess just a little background. Um, I recently joined, uh, the board of directors at a local organization called Animal Wonders. And, um, I have to plug their YouTube page, their Instagram page, just fantastic. Um, this organization is, uh, providing sanctuary and a home for displaced wild animals. Um, exotic pets that obviously, you know, can't be released or can't, can't go back to South America, um, for example. <laughs> and um, these animals are part of humane uh, educational programs, and there's a, a full curriculum presented in the schools. Um, anytime I have a client and there's, you know, a third grader in the home, I might mention, you know, oh, my shoes smell like fox today and they'll say oh is it the fox from animal wonders you know all the kids uh know of this organization so i'm lucky enough while i work uh you know to help the business side of things i'm also lucky enough to be able to uh help with some training of some of these animals so the fox um the first there are several foxes there the first one i started working with is an arctic fox named lumi um and i was really nervous when I first started working with her <laughs> um, because I, you know, dogs and cats are, are the animals that I'd always worked with. And so I remember I went in and I was actually wearing my handling gloves, you know, the gloves I always wear when I'm meeting a new dog. And so, know, so actually, history. so let me, let me interject there then. So yeah. at um, the Humane Society where you worked, it was just dogs and cats. Y'all didn't take in any other species other than that? Um, Great question. Yeah, we did. We took some of those pocket pets. You know, we had some rabbits, mm -hmm. get a ferret occasionally. Um, I love ferrets. I was just looking at your <laughs> uh, YouTube page and I was looking at the ferret um, in the ball. Yeah, in the ball. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So cute. So yeah, we did take other animals, but you know, they, you know, are hamsters or, you know, of course um, mm -hmm. we, we helped. But you didn't have good, like pigs but, or horses coming in. No, no space for anything like that. Okay. Um, I would have loved, I remember when you got pigs at the shelter. Wow. <laughs> so exciting. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, again, familiar with, you know, rats and rabbits and some of those animals, but yeah, no experience training, you know, I've trained a few, worked with a few horses and, mm -hmm. you know, a few little barn animals, but chickens, you know, things like that. Um, but no foxes. And so, <laughs> so I was pretty nervous. Um, so I went in and, and, you know, I was trained. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work on some basic behaviors, things like targeting, um, crating, sitting, things that they need, they need the animals to be able to do for a presentation. So, you know, if one of the educators is going to present and talk about, um, the, you know, the fox and why they're, why they're so fascinating and interesting and, you know, maybe they need the, the fox on the table for two minutes, 
maybe a little longer, depending. Mm-hmm. So they need to be able to sit and maybe target and maybe station on, you know, a, a rug or something. And so I went in, got my gloves, I'm all ready. And I went to do a hand target, which um, you're familiar, but for a lot of people that maybe don't know, I just wanted to touch my hand with her nose, just a little, little target my hand with her nose. And she looked at me like I was from outer space. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh, is it because I'm new, because I'm nervous, what's happening? And she just kept staring at my hands. And so I actually was thinking back to some of the work you and I did together, Glenn, working with some of the, um, the fearful dogs uh, with the ASPCA. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I think it's the gloves. Mm-hmm. So I took the gloves off. I asked for a hand target. And she said, oh, I know exactly what you're, what you're asking. And she did it. So there was a big learning curve for me. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I have now started working with a gray fox um, who is, I would say, if I could, Lumi would be more comparable to, the Arctic fox would be more comparable to maybe a, a shy, a little shyer dog um, that we worked with. And then the Arctic fox is the nine months old Malinois in the shelter that's just bouncing and really excited about life. Annabelle. And so <laughs> very different. Yeah, very different animals. Um, and so it works, but he's a lot of fun because he's a doer. And so I, I'm starting to get him to target um, or station, excuse me, onto a little stump. We want to be able to put a so, so let So when you say station, what do you mean? What, what's the animal doing? What's the fox doing for you at this point? Yeah. Great question. So um, for Atlas, the gray fox, we just, I need him to go to one specific location. And in this case, in his enclosure, he's got a lot of trees and stumps and natural things that he enjoys um, interacting with. So there's a stump that's just, you know, maybe two feet in diameter. And I just kind of point, help him go to that stump and then good boy and give him a treat as soon as he goes to that spot. And so once he's in that station, it's much easier to maybe put a collar on him or ask him to sit or ask or maybe work on, you know, harnessing or touching my hand or taking treats gently. So it's a really nice way to help an animal uh, be focused, kind of understand, okay, I'm on my spot. What do we want to do next? So it's a really nice, um, really nice behavior uh, to teach any animal. And now if we keep breaking it down, because it it does, it sounds to us that do these things that it's pretty simple, but then just just to continue to break it down, there are three, four, five potential behaviors that are being taught to get to that ultimate station, correct? Yeah. So I mean, you've got uh, to get you've got to get them one to learn how to sit. You've got to get them to realize the cue that it's like, but I want you to sit right here. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a, a, that is actually a really good point in that um, these animals that you know aren't my my pet dog or my pet cat, they have no reason to work with me, <laughs> <laughs> and so I have to really help. I spend a lot of time um, building relationship with them, um, really working at their level, at their mm-hmm. pace, going really slowly. I can't force the fox to do anything, right? I can't, I couldn't pick him up and say, I'd like you to go here, please. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, so you so, mean just from a training aspect, or you mean they could not be handled? Oh, from a training aspect. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. Um, yeah, and so, uh, people who may have heard me on this show over the last two years, you know, um, occasionally talking about that comes back to giving the animal choice, which is one of the biggest absolutely. things to having an animal build confidence if they've got the choice to do something or not to do something. Absolutely. And it's, you know, working with these other animals, these non-dogs and non-cats, it's just been just such a wonderful reminder that I, I, I can't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't, I couldn't force the fox to go into a sit, right? I couldn't, I couldn't force the armadillo to go from point A to point B. Um, right. Know, and it's really about going slowly, letting, helping them make a really great choice. And then reinforcing that choice. And so in the future, they'll be more likely to do that, that behavior that can help us um, put a collar on an animal, um, help them station on the table so kids can learn about them, um, help them, you know, uh, go to a stand and get a medical procedure done. So it's really, really just been so eye-opening for me and bringing that back to working with uh, dogs in that, going slowly and giving them choice, just like you said, is absolutely the, the best way to, to make any uh, significant progress. So often, and you probably have had this question too, people will ask, what's the easiest breed or what's the easiest kind of dog to train? And my answer is always a dog that's motivated. And yeah. I, I thought of that when you were talking about Atlas, that Atlas is, Atlas is willing to do anything. He's motivated to work. And that really yeah. any it doesn't matter the species if you've got a if you have an animal that's motivated to work, um, you can usually get them to do the basic kind of things. But now you just mentioned there about getting an armadillo to go from point A to point B. You want to expound <laughs> on that a little bit? Oh my gosh, I love her so much. Um, yeah, it's really interesting when I started working with these animals. I thought, oh my gosh, the fox, of course, just like you said. Of course, I'm going to love the fox. It's going to be my favorite. Well, who knew a southern three-banded armadillo would become just this joy in my life? Um, (laughs) I had no idea about about these animals. Um, But the southern three-banded armadillo can roll up into a ball. And so that's kind of her adaptation and her defense mechanism. So if something is out in the wild. If something, there were a predator, she would just pop into this little ball and has this kind of protective armor around her. And so she's just a fascinating creature. But the the thing I've been working on with her is that she needs to be able to have ultrasounds um, performed because she cohabitates with a male armadillo. Um, oh. And... It's a really interesting uh, mix of really focusing on behavioral and the medical uh, quality of life, the things that animals need for both behavioral and medical. And if they're separated, they get upset. If they're together, they're happy. Mm -hmm. But when they're together, we have to give her an ultrasound to figure out, you know, uh, know, we don't want to be breeding armadillos. And so... It's a little bit above my pay grade. I don't understand the, the whole process. However, 
um, the ultrasound is really important. And so, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, I can't make her do it. She'll just roll up into a little ball if mm-hmm. she doesn't enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, um, I started using a bird stand and just helping her pop her front little feet up on this stand. And eventually, over time, it's been several months, um, she just had her practice ultrasound the other day, and she's allowing um, the vet to touch her belly with a ultrasound wand. That's it's fa- pretty incredible. That's amazing. So, and this is while the male is there at the same time, right? He's there, or do you have um, to separate them, or does no, it not matter anymore? Be, yeah, they can be separated um, kind of long-term. They like to snuggle together at night. <laughs> So, yeah, every time I go into, um, it's awesome. you know, get Gaia for a training session, they're together. <laughs> That's awesome. So, really, what you're describing there um, also with having her put her paws up on that so they can do the ultrasound is another form of stationing. Absolutely. That's the exact, that's the exact thing um, that we're doing is just having her station um, at first, maybe she just sniffed it. She has a great sense of smell. And so she would maybe just sniff it and check it out. Um, and I would reinforce it for investigating the stand, maybe walking near it, maybe sniffing it. And eventually now, one day. And when you say reinforce, you're giving her something she likes. This is positive reinforcement. You're giving her something she yeah. likes. So she'll do continue to do the behaviors. So so what do you re, what do you use as a reinforcement for an armadillo? Yeah, great question. Um, mealworms are her favorite. Oh, that so, makes complete tiny sense. Tiny little worms. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she loves them. Um, she likes banana sometimes. Um, sometimes she'll lick banana. She has a very long tongue. Um, but me- mealworms are her favorite. And so, um, yeah, hmm. when she's investigating the stand or even that first time when she popped her little feeties up on that stand. Good girl, Gaia. And I just gave her a bunch of mealworms while she's standing on there so it was really amazing that's that's amazing so and this is something that actually you and i had discussed because i i was fascinated by it when i and when i found out that you were working with this group was about the same time or around the time that i had the opportunity to go to the florida aquarium and i saw them doing a similar thing you described there with the river otters because if they get the river otters to stand up and put their paws up then they're able to do the ultrasounds and different medical procedures and such so Often you think about things with your dog or your cat that um, you want to do. Um, one of the things with a cat that's very popular is stationing um, because it's much easier if you're taking your cat to the vet visit that your cat's like, oh, I'll hop right up on that table. You're going to give me a temptation for it? Sure. You know. Yes. But like you that. said, um Cats probably are. I would imagine you found the gray foxes similar to cats. You know, I, I um, sort of. I mean, sort of. still dogs. Yeah, there's still dogs. Um, there's kind of like a slinkiness to a cat uh, that's similar to a cat. <laughs> um, but they're they're very dog-like. You know, they wag their tails. Um, they play. Put their ears back when they're excited. You know, really um, very. Kind of a mix, but the gray fox is kind of we- like a weasel. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what yeah. that means. Just his face, he's real pointy. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of, you know, 
maybe some sort of weasel. Something like that. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's pretty. I just think about him like a like a Malinois, and it all makes sense. <laughs> I like that. But if you yeah. do what we do, everything comes back around to dogs. It all comes. It, does. it, it all comes back around to dogs. So, it well, does. we are wrapping things up today. Again, this is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Our guest today has been Mariah Shesky of Blue Sky Behavior in Missoula, Montana. And if people want to uh, find out more about Mariah, you can go to her website at blueskybehavior.net. And I want to thank you immensely for uh, hanging out with me today. This has been a heck of a lot of fun. Thank you, Glenn. I'm always happy to chat chat animals with you, and thanks so much for having me. Hey, and next time we'll talk about your favorite band, the Tedeschi Trucks Band. Oh, my gosh. They're coming to Florida in May. <laughs> and Jessica Green is behind the uh, keyboard or uh, behind the uh, board over here. Thumbs up. All excited. So thank you again, Mariah. Thank you. Take care. And this is WMNF Tampa. My name's Glenn Hatchell. It's been a pleasure to sit in for Duncan today here on Talking Animals. And we're going to let John Prine take us up to NPR News. If I could make my living going fishing, then I would make my living with a line and hole. Pay the money to the landlord, buy some work and clothes ain't making money going fishing like I'm paid at the factory. If I could pay all these bills with my guitar, then I would pay these bills with some rock and roll. Put food on the table, pay the money to the landlord, buy some work and clothes ain't making money playing guitar like I'm paid at the factory. Now if I could, if I could, then I would. Stars above, if I could just get by loving you, dear, then I would just.